to today's audio podcast from the Church at Bushland. If you enjoy the teaching ministry of the Church at Bushland and would like to enjoy more resources and weekly updates, we hope you will visit our website at thechurchatbushland.com or download our app by searching for The Church at Bushland in your app store. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. Please take a moment to let us know how this ministry is impacting your life by emailing us at info at thechurchatbushland.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so in our app or by visiting thechurchatbushland.com slash give. Excited to be back here. So grateful for the leadership of this church. Uh, give me the opportunity to be here. Had a blast at the men's uh, retreat and uh, excited about uh, sharing God's word this morning. If I've never met you before, I'm Shep, and, uh, and I'm excited. Uh, we're going to read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6 of the verses that we're going to read this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. They read this way. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it has among you since the day you heard it and came to truly appreciate God's grace. Let's pray together. God, I love you, and I thank you for this opportunity uh, to be here. We pray that you would speak to us through your word. Pray that uh, all things uh, that are shared this morning would be glorifying to you. We pray that you would encourage and inspire believers uh, to go deeper in their walks with you. We pray that anybody in this room that does not know you as a personal savior has not experienced the train wreck of the gospel, has not believed in you, put faith in you, been transformed from the inside out. We pray that you would open eyes, open hearts, and draw people to yourself today. Lord Jesus, I can't save anybody. I didn't save myself, but we know you do the saving. So do as only you can do. Wash us, Lord God, and do something special here this morning. I pray that when the dust settles and the smoke clears, you will be glorified. It's all about you. It always has been, and it always will be. Holy Spirit, come in and dominate this place like the greatest defense on earth. I pray that no one will exit the doors without being convicted, converted, challenged, changed, or reclaimed for your kingdom. We pray this now in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. If you agree with that prayer, just repeat after me. Say, bless us. Make us a blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Now make some noise like you got a full scholarship. So grateful to be uh, with you all here this morning. We're just going to walk through this word. In this letter from Paul, he explains uh, what the life of a person who's filled to overflowing with the relationship with Jesus Christ should look like. There are some identifiable qualities and traits for someone who's been walking with Jesus, someone who's been transformed by Jesus, and it's highlighted in the verses that we read. Those six things are, he said, it should be filled to overflowing with faith, love, hope, truth, fruit, 
and grace. And we're just going to walk through that this morning and be able to do our own personal evaluation. The worst form of deception is self-deception. Amen? That's the worst form of deception, self-deception. You may fool other people, but man, we're in bad shape when we start fooling ourselves. So we don't want to fool ourselves. Let's be honest. Let's be straight with ourselves today about where we are and literally line our lives up, literally like we're lining up next to a, a, a ruler or a measuring stick and say, what does my life look like compared to these verses? And what this verse said, it should look like if I've truly accepted Jesus Christ and been transformed by him. If you're a believer in this room and you've already been converted and Jesus is yours and you are his, then there may come with some conviction this morning. Conviction is a big word in its simplest form. All it means is the Holy Spirit letting you know you need a little more of something or a little less of something. And that's good news for us this morning. It means that maybe we've lost our first love. Maybe there's a specific area or areas of our lives where God is calling us deeper. And this is the morning where he's chosen to say, hey, this is the opportunity to get this area right. Now, you can't get that area right on your own. How can he heal it, though, unless you can reveal it? We've got to be honest. We've got to be open and transparent with God. We have a good, good father who wants to hear from us. Now, if you're in this room and you aren't in the family of faith, you aren't a believer, and these things that you hear highlighted here, you hear the truth of this gospel, you hear the truth of this Jesus, this God-man who claims to be the only way to salvation, if he opens your eyes, if he opens your heart, my prayer for you this morning is that you would respond to the truth. Respond to the truth and say the only appropriate response to the greatest proposal of all times. And he wasn't even on a knee. He was nailed to a cross. And he says to you this morning, will you marry me? Let me be clear. It is not the sheep's job to find the shepherd. That's not the responsibility of the sheep. So you're not going to find God this morning. God's not lost. We are. But the good news is we have the greatest shepherd that's ever lived. And it is the shepherd's job, not just to identify the sheep, it's the shepherd's job to leave the 99 to come find the one that's in here this morning. And I want you to know that everything in your life has led you to this point. God has been looking for you. He's been pursuing you, not to, not to punish you, but to show you mercy. God is in this room this morning, not to judge you, but to extend love and grace to you. And it's going to happen through us studying through this word and literally evaluating these six points that Paul brings up of what the life that is filled to overflowing with the relationship with Jesus Christ should truly look like. Those that I've never met before, my name is Shep. Like I said, uh, I'm from the state of Florida originally. I was raised with 15 brothers and sisters, nine brothers, six sisters, one mom, working two jobs, no money. I was born in the hood. Most people say they're from the hood. They're really from the hospital. I was literally born in the hood. My mother gave birth to me alone in a ghetto project apartment and then drove herself to the hospital. Think about that for a second. I was literally born in the hood. I grew up most of my life feeling hopeless and feeling helpless. Hopelessness meaning this situation will never change. Helplessness meaning even if it could change, I can't do anything about it. No man in my family who wasn't recorded had ever graduated high school. No person in my family had ever been to a college. My father went to prison for murder before I was born. While my mom was pregnant with me, he had three women pregnant. And he was drunk one night playing with a gun and he shot and killed his best friend. So as Shep, I grew up, I never had a dad to throw the ball around with me. I never had a dad to sit me on his knees and watch ball games. To this day, I've never seen a man shave. To this day, I've never lit a barbecue grill. 
I learned how to tie a tie by watching YouTube videos before I turned 30 years old. So I know what it's like to suffer. The worst times of the year for me were winter break, summertime, and spring break. Most kids, that's their favorite time of the year, but I hated that time of the year. Most kids love it because school's out. I hated when school was out because many times that free lunch I had at school was the only meal I ate all day long. There was a foundation that sponsored my family specifically when I was nine years old. I'll never forget because it was my very first traditional Christmas. Although my mother identified as Christian, it would have been an insult to ask my mother for the gift that I really wanted because we knew she could not afford it. There were times we had to sleep in an Astro Vans parking lot because we in a, in a parking lot because we had nowhere else to go. There were times where I had to wash my face and brush my teeth in the school's bathroom because we had no water at home. Then when we did have water at home, there were times we had to wash clothes with shampoo or take a bath with dishwashing liquid because that's all you have. There were times when my mom's cycle was on, she would send us in the Taco Bell to grab a bunch of napkins because her peer was on and she couldn't afford to buy feminine products. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to suffer in this America. I'm not from a third world country. I'm from here, the home of the free and the brave, and I suffered in this America. I want to thank everybody in this room who's ever contributed to a perishable food drive. Do they do those in this area? With non-perishable food drive. They let you bring canned goods and different stuff for needy families. I don't know if you ever met one of us before, but if you've ever given to anything like that, I'm one of the kids that you help feed. But I know what it's like to suffer. My father was in prison for murder. I never saw a picture of my father growing up, never read a letter from him, never heard a story about him. This foundation comes saying they're going to sponsor my family at nine years old, and I wanted to make my Christmas wish count. I thought about asking for a trampoline. I thought about asking for a game system. I thought about asking for a name brand shoes. I thought about asking for a computer, all of which I had never had before. But at nine years old, how was I? Nine. I t how old was I? Nine. Okay. Y'all got to get used to talking back to me. I'm black church in the South. You can talk back to the preacher, okay? We stay in this thing together. I looked that lady square in the eyes at nine years old, and I said, ma'am, you will help me have the greatest Christmas I've ever had in my entire life if this year you would buy me a pillow. At nine years old, I had never had my own pillow. I slept on my arms in this America until I was nine years old. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to be at a low point. I know what it's like to feel like I don't matter, like I'm not significant, like I don't have a voice, like I don't count. I know what it's like to doubt that there's a God somewhere that cares. I know what it's like to feel unlovable, unreachable, unforgivable. I am not innocent. I was sending my face off, doing everything I was being bad enough to do. I was a terrible kid. I went to seven elementary schools before I was in the third grade. I had no respect for anyone or anything. I hated me, and I wanted everybody around me to hate me too. I felt like I wasn't significant because I didn't know my dad. I didn't know who I was. My father was released from prison when I was 12 years old. And the first time we ever met, he didn't say a word to me. And it just set me on a spiral that was out of control. By the time I was 14, all of my siblings who were older than me, including my sister, had been incarcerated for drugs or violent-related crimes. My mother came and asked me to be the man of the house. It felt like an oxymoron because I had never seen a man in my house. And I didn't know what being a man was. My ninth grade year, 14 years old, seven days after my best friend died in front of my face. I was in a ghetto project apartment. There was nothing in the refrigerator but light bulbs and fingerprints. I had a gun in my mouth ready to blow my brain off and stemming out of the back of my head. I know what it's like to suffer. At 14 years old, I'm getting ready to take my life. And on my way home to commit suicide that day in the back seat of that car, I saw a wall. You can Google it later, not far from Universe Studios, a very popular road called Hawassi. 
And if you travel on Hawassi, there's a bunch of businesses, housing developments, and projects, and then there's just this wall. It's a white brick wall, got blue water painted on it. They got a bunch of ugly fish going this way. They got them really animated. Sharks, piranhas, barracudas, bunch of ugly fish. What kind of fish? Ugly. No, they're ugly fish. What kind of fish? Ugly. Yeah, like you, ugly fish going this way. Then there's one fish. How many fish? One fish going the other way. We see that on the back of people's cars. The quote above that picture is Romans 12 and 2. It said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That term transform comes from the word metamorpho, which means we get the term metamorphosis from. Literally, where we see a caterpillar going to a butterfly. God just doesn't want to change your opinion. He wants to give you an entirely new mind. The four words on the side of that picture said, go against the flow. What did it say? Go against the flow. One more time. You know what I found out? You don't have to be alive to go with the flow. We could take a field trip to a river right now. I threw a dead fish in the river. You know what it would do? Go with the flow. But it takes someone alive to get off that broad road that leads to destruction. There's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And what road are you traveling on right now? I was at 14 years old. I didn't have a preacher to preach me a sermon. I didn't have a band to play me a song, but I couldn't get this picture out of my mind. In my 14-year-old mind, this picture meant if I changed my mind, God could change my life. I know what it's like to suffer. My mother was religious. She drug us to churches all the time, Wednesday night, Friday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Y'all know black folks stay in church forever. Everybody was bragging on the love of God. Nobody was showing it. Nobody. Everybody's singing these beautiful songs like we sang this morning. And they would see, I got nine brothers, six sisters, one mom working two jobs. And they say things like, we'll pray for you guys. Don't pray for us. Help us. Nobody did. The first person to reach out to me from the church was my Sunday school teacher. She reached out and started sexually abusing me at 10 years old. She reached out and took my innocence at 10 years old. She reached out and took something from me I was supposed to have on a wedding day. I couldn't wash her hands off of me. I couldn't wash her hands out of my mind. She told me I was a loser and I deserved every filthy, nasty, disgusting, perverted thing she did to me Sunday morning after Sunday morning. And in my 10-year-old mind, I felt like if this is what Jesus loving little children feels like. I didn't want his love. I know what it's like to suffer. I know what it's like to hurt. I know what it's like to be in pain. But I know what it's like to be healed. I know what it's like to be transformed. I know what it's like to be loved well. I know what it's like to be radically transformed through the truth of the gospel. And the only person who gets credit for that is not football. It's not financial accumulation. It's not academic pedigree. It's not having friends or followers. The only thing that transformed me was the person that met me in that ghetto project department when I had that gun in my mouth, ready to blow my brain off its stem and on the back of my head. And that person was the God of this Bible. Jesus Christ met me where I was and he did not leave me the same. And when you experience the radical transform of the gospel, it changes things. Change takes place over time from the inside out. But there should be some evidence in our lives that says I've been radically transformed by the truth of the gospel. I became the first male graduate in the history of my family. God sent a mentor in my life named Sean Alexander, the first man who ever tell me he loved me. I was 15, almost 15 years old on the side of a mountain. My mother had never even told me she loved me. He told me he loved me, touched me in love, said he, he know I'm hurting from what my dad didn't do. He wanted to be my mentor. My, he wanted to disciple me. And show me what it's like to really go after God. He taught me God's word. He taught me how to love. He taught me how to what? Love. He taught me how to live my life for something bigger than myself. He taught me how to forgive. He taught me how to what? Forgive. I'm so glad he taught me how to forgive. One of those people I forgave that never asked for forgiveness was my father. 
My dad, we ended up being closer than any other person in my family. Our relationship was locked in. Almost every week, I was flying to the state of Florida, taking the breakfast, taking the lunch, pouring through the word. My dad was addicted to the same crack he sold for 18 years. He didn't just have a habit. He had to have it. But that same Jesus radically transformed him from the inside out. He had gotten completely sober walking with Jesus Christ. And life had been completely renewed by the power of Jesus Christ. My father died in 2021. His last words to me, the same day I was speaking for the national champions, his last words to me were, amen. And I love I know what the power of Jesus Christ can do. I'm not telling you what I heard. I'm telling you what I know. And let me let you know, if we're going to evaluate our lives and we're going to hold it up according to the gospel, we test everything in light of Scripture and hold fast to what is true. Paul says there are six specific things that our lives should be filled to overflowing. I didn't say sprinkle with. They should be filled to what? Overflowing with six specific things. The first thing is faith. The first thing is what? Second thing is love. Second thing is what? Third thing is hope. Third thing is what? I like that. The fourth thing is truth. Fourth thing is what? Fifth thing is fruit. The fifth thing is what? And the sixth thing is grace. The sixth thing is what? So there it is. We have them. Faith, love, hope, truth, fruit, grace. We'll get into them. I'll pray with you. We'll get out of here. The first thing is faith. The first thing is what? Faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Our lives should be filled to overflowing with faith. Those that come to him must first believe that he is God and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Scripture says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let me be clear. Everyone in this room has faith. The question is, what have you put your faith in? Some of us got big egos, right? We've put our faith in ourselves. The acronym we use for ego is edging God out. Anytime our ego is involved, we're edging God out and we've put our faith in ourselves, our own ability. Let me tell you something, son, young lady, it's not about your ability. It's about your availability. We all have faith. What have you put your faith in? Most of us in this room, I saw you come in this morning. None of you got on all fours and looked up under the chair to make sure it was screwed in correctly, did you? No, you just had faith that the person who put these chairs together did it in a way where it will hold you up. You love your family. You jump in your vehicle. More than likely, you don't know the person who put the brakes on your vehicle, but you just trusted. They did their job well, and when you squeeze on that brake, it was going to stop and protect your family, didn't you? So why, when God speaks through his word, you doubt him? Why, when God makes a promise to you, you doubt that he's going to be true to his word? He's the only man. He cannot lie. Not only has he not lied, he cannot lie. He is truth. His word is truth. It's eternal. And God says, I want you to, I need you to put your faith in me. That's where it begins, putting faith in Jesus. What do we mean to put faith in Jesus? We got to understand that in the beginning, it was God. What was in the beginning? God. Nothing else. Nothing else that we see. Nothing else we experienced, experienced before him. It was God in three persons. They were all there. They were not tardy for the party. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they were all present. He said, let us. He said, let what? Us. And he began to create, and everything he made was good. It was good. And he gets around to creating man, and then he makes woman. And y'all know about the fall, right? They eat of the tree, and they're separated by sin. Say sin. Sin. Sin separates us all, and there's nothing we can do in our own strength to reconnect us to God the Father. God and man are separated by sin, and it's all our fault. We dropped the ball. But Jesus, 
Jesus comes to earth and he lives a life that we couldn't live. He died in our place and for our sins, lives a perfect life, died a sacrificial death. And in three days, God the Father raised him from the dead. He says, whosoever believe, whosoever will call up the name of the Lord shall be saved. The bar was very high. Nobody could reach it but Jesus. Jesus reached the bar and then he brought the ball down really, really low. And he says, all you got to do is believe. What? It's that simple? Yeah. All you got to do is believe. I didn't say no. I said what? Believe. See, there's a difference. We know up here, but we believe in here. See, knowing shows up in your language. Oh, so grateful to hear what you know. But belief shows up in our what? Actions. That's why scripture says faith without works is what? If you're not living out your faith, you're not living, you're just breathing to death. Our faith should be actionable. It should be viewable. People should be able to see what you believe, not just hear or read your tweets about what you believe. I should be able to see what you believe by the way you approach every single day. So the question is, is our life filled with fear or is our life filled with faith? Scripture says our life should be filled to overflowing with faith. One acronym for faith is forsaking all, I trust him. That's good, right? Forsaking all, I trust him. Dr. Evans said faith is believing that it is so, even when it's not so. In order that it may be so, just because God said so. Amen. Faith. What have you put your faith in? Have you put your faith in the rock of ages? Have you put your faith in the only path of salvation? Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man's going to the Father but by me. I know you have faith. Who have you put your faith in? Have you put your faith in the one that is trustworthy? Does your life say, I didn't say your mouth say, your life. You got to walk it like you talk it. Walk it like I talk it. You got to walk it like you talk it. I don't care if you got a whole school of fish on the back of your car. If you're not living out your faith, it's just lip service. What do you believe? And we find out most about our faith when it's tested. When you get a diagnosis you weren't expecting. When that person you thought would have your back forever turns around and walks out on you. When they let you down, when that job you were faithful to lets you go. We really get to find out where your faith is. Adversity doesn't make you who you are. It reveals who you are. So I ask again for the second time, what does your faith look like? Looking back, evaluating your own life. I can't evaluate your life for you. You got to do that. These own mirror moments. What does my faith say about me? Does my faith say that my heart is filled to overflowing with the relationship with Jesus Christ? Paul says it should be evident in our faith. Second area he said it should be evident is in our love. In our what? He loved me when I was unlovable. He reached me when I was unreachable. And he forgave me when I did the unforgivable. Believers in this room, we cannot miss when it comes to love. We can get a lot of things wrong. We're going to get a lot of things wrong. The one thing we can't screw up is the subject of love. Jesus was very explicit when he said, they will know you're my disciples by the way you what? Love one another. Not by how you dress, not by where you attend church, not by what you drive, not by what you say or tweet or hashtag or vote. They will know you are my disciples by the way you love. Love is not what it says. Love is what it does. Jesus made love a verb, an action word. I kick you, I punch you, I love you. Now let me be clear. None of these six things can you do apart from Jesus. That's why they're evidence that you have Jesus. Because when you have Jesus, you'll have faith. 
When you have Jesus, you'll have what? Love. True love, real love, not convenient love, inconvenient love, crazy love. How could he love people that look like that? How could he love people who think like that? How could he love people who've done people, done him like that? How could she love someone that doesn't have what she has or live where she lives? It's only because of Jesus. It's through his power that he helps us to love, but you got to receive the love in order to give the love. That's good. You got to receive the Lord love in order to what? Give the love. That's how we do it. Scripture even says in 1 John chapter 4 that if you don't love, you don't know God. You don't believe me? Go read it. 1 John 4. If you don't love, literally, I just preached. We could pray and just end it up. That's it. Point blank, period. 1 John 4, if you don't love, you don't know God. Hateful Christian is an oxymoron. Racist Christian is an oxymoron. There's no such thing. The B-I-B-L-E says if you don't love, I didn't say if you are not nice. It said if you don't love, you don't even know God. Because God is, it's the only attribute that's said this way. What is it? God is what? That's how important it is. That's how important it is. The scripture says God literally, like, I'm one with this thing. This is not just a kind of a shot I want you to make or a place I want you to visit. No, no, no. If you don't know this, you don't know me. Because this is what I do. This is who I am. You can't have me in your heart and not do this. So if your heart is filled with hate, if your heart is filled with unforgiveness today, and I've been there, bitterness, bitterness is like cancer. It just eats away at the host. We need to allow the love of God, which means allowing God into those spaces and those places. I know what it's like for people to hurt you. My abuser, that woman who sexually abused me, she died this past year. And I had a bunch of emotions pop up that I wasn't ready for. I actually was mad at myself. And I haven't shared this publicly, really, but I'm being real. Like, I was upset at my, I was confused on why I was feeling anything. Y'all know what I mean? Like, why don't you feel anything that this woman is gone? If anything, you should go eat some birthday cake and have a party. But it wasn't so simple, you know? And I was dealing with a lot. The only thing that helped me manage through that storm What's love? What was what would help me? Love. And it's love that is gonna carry us. And so our lives, if it is a reflection of Jesus Christ, should be filled to overflowing with faith, and it should be filled to overflowing with love. Not convenient love, crazy love. What kind of love? Crazy love. Man, that love is crazy. Really? You love folks like that? Yeah, man. This is the kind of love that is imparted that God showed me. That's how we're able to do it, because we experience it. You don't love your kids because they're doing the right things all the time. You love them because they're your kids. And it's the same thing with our good, good father. We, we drop the ball. We make mistakes. We're going to continue to. But his love for us is eternal and everlasting. We are his. He is ours. That's it. Our lives should be filled to overflowing with faith, with love. The third thing is hope. The third thing is what? Hope, hope is the foundation of quality for all change. 
Hope is important. When hope enters the picture, action follows. If there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. That's good. If there's hope in the future, there's what? Power in the present. It comes. Our hope endures because our hope is in Jesus. Hopefully, y'all paying attention. Everything's connected to the Lord. Y'all noticing that? Our faith has to be in who? Jesus. Our love. We have to love like who? Jesus. And we got to understand that our hope is in who? Jesus. It's all about him. It always has been. It always will be. He's the center of it all. That's why our hope endures. That's why our foundation is unshakable. That's why we can approach life. And no matter what's happening in the world, no matter what pandemic breaks out, no matter what goes on with the economy, no matter what's trending on social media, our hope endures. We know that we win in the end. That we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We've been justified by Jesus Christ. He made it just as if I never sinned. And that only comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Y'all heard that R word I just said? A what? Relationship with Jesus Christ. We can't just be fans of God. We must know him personally. We got to know him personally. We can't just be fans of him. Some of us, the truth is, we go to our sporting events, and that's where we go worship. And Sunday morning, this morning, this is just the games we attend of our favorite team. We're just fans of God, but we worship football. We worship baseball. We worship basketball. We worship on Friday nights. Ooh, Friday night lights. It's time to worship. Then we come to Sunday morning, and we just cheer on our favorite squad. It's just the team we chose. And so that crucifix that we wear it's just the memorabilia of our favorite team. You may think this is not that big of a deal. You know why this is a problem? If I worship sports, but I'm just a fan of God, that means Jesus is no longer my Messiah or my master. Y'all know what he is? My mascot. Y'all felt the room just change? That's what conviction does. It make you want to defend yourself. That's what it should do. It lets us know that we've gotten it wrong. We've got our, our priorities out of place. Jesus should always be the center point and the main thing of every single thing you do, every date you go on, everything you sign up for, every way you volunteer, everything you're committed to, it's every relationship you're in. It should be the center point of everything you do. Our lives should be filled to overflowing with faith, filled to overflowing with love, filled to overflowing with hope, filled to overflowing with truth, filled to overflowing with what? Truth. We live in a day and age where people will try to tell you truth is relative. It doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe something, that's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man's going to the Father but by me. And his truth is written in the word of God. The two things that'll last forever is the souls of men and the word of God. You need to get those two things acquainted with each other. How can you stand and walk in truth if you don't know the truth? We've got to get invested in reading our word. Young people in this room, I dare you to make out with your Bible. I'll say it again. I dare you to make out with your Bible. I'm convinced if you start making out with your Bible, you'll stop making out with people you shouldn't make out with. I dare you to make out with your Bible. God wants to know us in a personal way. Usually everybody in this room, no matter what your age, your relationship with God is trending about the same pace as your relationship with his word. And so we got to get into it. If you know someone dead or alive who is truly a godly individual, Anybody in this room, raise your hand. If you knew someone, you say, I truly believe that person was a godly individual. Let me see by show of hands. Okay, well, let me tell you something. The only way you can become godly is by spending time with, guess who? God. Nobody ever wakes up in the morning, walks by the mirror and goes, oh, boy. 
wow, I'm pretty godly. No, <laughs> nobody becomes godly on accident. You become godly by spending time with, say his name, God. You got to spend time with Jesus. And so in order for us to stand in truth, stand boldly in truth and speak the truth and take a stand for what Christ is calling us to, we need to get familiar with his truth. He didn't say stand. And we, our lives should be filled to overflowing with opinions. It should be filled to overflowing with what? Truth. Y'all know there's a difference, right? I don't mind you sharing your opinion, but you need to be clear. Don't blur the lines between my opinion, my preference, versus what God's truth is. We can't miss when it comes to truth. Let's be clear. Understand what I'm saying? Let's hold, pull no punches. When it comes to God's word and what the truth is, I'm going to stand boldly and firmly on it. This aren't my words. These are his words. And his truth is unchanging. So our lives should be filled to overflowing with faith, filled to overflowing with love, filled to overflowing with hope, filled to overflowing with truth, filled to overflowing with fruit, filled to overflowing with what? Fruit. What does the fruit of your life say? No matter how long you've been a deacon at the church, how long you've been attending Sunday school, what does the fruit of your life say? Scripture says the fruit of our life. We should bear fruit. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 that a bad tree can't produce good fruit and a good tree can't produce bad fruit. You will know them by their fruit. What does the fruit of your life say is your Savior? What does the fruit of your life say have you been transformed by? We look at the fruit. Do a fruit check. You're not what you've done once or twice. We all make mistakes. But over time, what does the fruit of your life say? I can't tell you what, what fruit you're bearing, but the people close to you can, or you know for yourself. The worst form of deception we sell is self-deception. What does the fruit of your life say? Our lives should be filled to overflowing with faith, with love, with hope, with truth, with fruit. And the final thing is grace. The final thing is what? Grace, unmerited favor, getting what we don't even deserve. That's what God is filled with for each and every one of us. If you're in this room and you can breathe, do it with me. It means God's grace is still available to you. And you should say yes to him while you have a chance. See, once we receive his grace, we should live in his grace and extend that grace to others. I know people are going to let you down. They're going to fall short, disappoint you. But we got to extend grace to others. And you know what I want to encourage you to do this morning? I didn't even share this in the earlier group. Extend grace to yourself. Be patient with yourself. Understand that God is doing a good work and he's faithful and just to complete that work. Be patient day by day. The end of the, a bend in the road is not the end of the road. Just stay in the game. Make a decision that you won't give up, you won't give out, and you won't give in. God wants to change your life from the inside out. He wants to give you great fruit, and he wants to extend his grace to you. Like I told you earlier, God is not here to judge you this morning. One day he will return to judge. But this morning ain't the time. This morning, he's here to offer you love. He's here to save you. He's been pursuing you not to punish you, but to show you mercy. But while you have breath in your body, this is your last chance to choose him. Everybody lives forever somewhere. What will determine where you live forever is what you did with Jesus. Do you believe? I said he set the bar really low. All you got to do is believe. Believe that he is who he said he is, and he could do what he said he could do. Do you believe and understand that you're a sinner? Your sin separates you from God? Nothing you could do in your own strength could reconnect you to God the Father? Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation? He came to earth, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and in three days was raised from the dead. Do you believe that he is God? He was God in flesh, and he sits at the right hand of the Father. Do you believe that he can change everything you're dealing with, everything in and around your life, if you'll give it over to him? It's not about who you are. It's about whose hands you're in. 
Are you in the nail-pierced hands? Are you in the right hands? If you've put your life in the hands of anything else, it is untrustworthy. But Jesus says, if you will come into my hand, if you will trust me with your life, I will feel you to have you overflowing with faith, with love, with hope, with truth, with fruit, and with grace. Let's pray together. Head bowed and eyes closed if you're in this room. I want you to ask yourself a real question. On a scale from zero to 100%, how sure are you that you know Jesus and Jesus knows that you've been transformed from the inside out by the celebrity of the universe. Zero to 100%, how sure are you? With your head, body, and eyes closed, let me tell you an alarming truth. There are only two answers to that question. Zero or 100. Either you're saved or you're not. Either he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Some of you say, well, Shep, man, I remember a time specifically when I gave the, I came down the aisle, I shook the preacher's hand. If you shook a preacher's hand, but you didn't give God your heart, you're not saved. Well, Shep, I come to church all the time. Coming to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's like standing in McDonald's don't make you a hamburger. You must have a relationship with Jesus Christ. He has been pursuing you to show you mercy. He is here not to judge you, but to save you. All you have to do is believe. If you're in this room and you say, I believe, and you're ready to accept Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to pray with you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're in this room and you say, I'm ready. I believe Jesus is who he said he is. He could do what he said he could do. I'm ready for him to change my game from the inside out. All I ask you to do, sir, ma'am, young man, young lady, all I ask you to do, if that's you, is just quietly look up at me from where you are. Only if you mean it. If you don't mean it, put your head back down. You mean it? That's real. Only those that mean it. You mean it? Amen. That's real. Only if you mean it. You mean it? I see you, girl. Only if you mean it. You mean it? Amen. That's strong. You? Okay. Only if you mean it. You mean it? That's solid, brother. Amen. Y'all mean it? That's good. Only if you mean it. If, you don't, if it's not from your heart, it doesn't count with God anyway. But he's here not to judge you, but to save you. You mean it? That's good. If you're looking at me and you mean it in your heart, I'm trying to talk you out of it. But if you say, Shep, there's nothing you can do to talk me out of it. I'm ready. I believe he is who he said he is, and I'm ready to accept him as my Lord and Savior. All I invite you to do, those that look at me, to quietly, as quick as you can, is quietly stand right up where you are. Stand with me. Go ahead. You're standing all over the room. Amen. Keep praying, saints. Head bowed and eyes closed. If you got your head bowed and eyes closed, you're in one of two situations. Either you're saved, keep praying, or you're not. And you're good with that. I can't save anybody. But if he's opened your eyes, he's opened your ears, the only thing to do when you hear the voice of God is respond. I see you, girl. I'm proud of you. I see you, brother. That's strong. People that mean it. If you declare him publicly, he will declare you before his father. That's scripture. That's Jesus. And he's never going to leave you the same. Head bowed and eyes closed. Those that are sitting, you just keep praying or sitting there. Those that are standing, you mean it in your heart. I want to pray with you real quick. If you're willing, I just want you to, as quickly as you can, just meet me right where I am, right here. Everybody else, with your head by your eyes closed, if you feel somebody trying to come by you, just let them by. Y'all, come on. Let's pray together. Come on. Yeah, I know that aisle feels like it's so long. But these people are about to throw a party for you when you get up here. Watch this. 
God, thank you for these that are coming. These that are men in their heart. Yeah, y'all go ahead. Y'all can show them some love. Come on. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Amen. I just want to pray with you. And there's some people from the church that just want to get some information they want to engage with, but I just want to pray with you right here. Real quick, there's a universal sign for surrender. No matter where you are in the world, if you're at an ATM and somebody runs up behind you with a gun, we're all going to do the same thing. We're going to do put our hands up. Go ahead. Let me see them. That's what all of us do. We put our hands up. Let me see them. Come on. That's what most of us do. And this is what we do. We put them this high, as high as our heart is. That's what most of us do. It's a feeling, right? I got emotional. I got sad. I got happy. I'm angry. It's an emotional decision. And some of us mature in our wall, and we go a little higher. Come on up. This is where we go. Especially men. A lot of athletes do this. As high as my head is, as high as my ears, so it's based on what I see based on what I've heard, based on what I think. But true surrender has a look. Y'all know where I'm going with it already. What does it look like? Complete surrender. Past what I think, past what I've heard, past what I feel, like a child to its father. I just want to pray with you. And we're going to extend our hands. We're just going to pray real quick, okay? Let's pray together. With your head by eyes closed, say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and I know I can't save myself. Your word says... If I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God the Father raised him from the dead, I shall be saved. Lord Jesus, I'm saying it now. I believe. Come into my heart. Change my life from the inside out. I declare you this day as my Savior and my Lord. I am yours and you are mine. That's it. Lord, I thank you for these that have prayed this prayer, help them to get connected so they can grow in their faith. I pray that their lives will be a life song to you, filled to overflowing with love, faith, hope, trust, faith, Lord God. And I pray that more than anything, it will bear good fruit and their grace that you've extended to them, they will be able to live it out loud every single day. We thank you for those that you have welcomed into the family and we just give honor and praise to you. We thank you, Lord God, and we give you the honor. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. God bless you all. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast from the Church at Bushland. We hope you will stay connected by following the ministry on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram by using the Church at Bushland. We are all about people because God is all about people. We exist to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference.